Hello, and welcome to One Spooks Professor, as we take a short little dive into a short little form of fiction, the two-sentence horror story. This little subgenre that consists of two sentences, it's in the name, two-sentence horror stories, can help us often boil down the essentials of a scare in much the same way that the basic one-liner joke in comedy breaks down the essential elements in comedy. Just like that joke has the setup and the punchline, so too does the two-sentence horror story have the setup and the scare. The reason it is so essential to boil down why these things work the way they do is because it tells us how the larger, more complex versions of this artifice work. A one-liner is not that different from a more complex comedy routine. You still have the setup, and you have the jokes that serve as the punchlines, and they build upon each other. The same thing for scares in an effective horror work. You still have that simple setup scare, setup scare, but in a, a horror work, the scares should build while interacting with the narrative. Stripping away all the extra frippery, the two-sentence horror story author has to construct a basic narrative in what is essentially two independent clauses. You might have some dependent clauses in there or have even created some compound sentences so you can sneak some extra independent clauses in there and widen it out, but with the fat trimmed, it is still very short and you have to sum it up in very quick ideas that tell us the story you want to tell us. So you get to see the scare work or not work in quick succession. And I want to look at some examples of this genre that can teach us these lessons. Now, because I didn't want to read anyone else's work aloud without permission, I didn't take any stories from Reddit or similar websites, thus depriving me of stories that I could use as examples. I urge you to go look at pre-existing ones. You'll see a lot of the tropes that we're talking about, but uh, I decided to spend a few minutes with a pen and paper in the bathroom where I do all my deep thinking, just coming up with, all right, here's a two-sentence horror story. Here's a two-sentence horror story. Here's one that follows this trope. Here's one that follows this trope, and so on and so forth, so that I can cover the areas I want to cover. So let's dive into what the two-sentence horror story looks like, and you'll see what I mean by the setup and the payoff, or lack of payoff, if the author did not do their job. In this case, I'll be chiding no one but myself. So, hurrah? Take this one. In my written confession to the homicide detective, I told them that I just had to make the baby's screaming stop. This caused the detective's ASL translator to sign to me, Wait, you're deaf. In the setup, we have that this is already an uncomfortable scenario that is tense. You have someone who is signing a confession for a homicide detective. If there's a homicide detective here, specifically homicide, not vice, not something else, then you know there was a killing done. Where the setup goes awry here is where we introduce the scare in the first sentence before the payoff in the second. The murdered babies going in that first sentence there? I mean, what could top that? Well, we introduce the fact that the murderer is deaf, so they couldn't have heard 
the baby screaming, so they wouldn't have needed to make it be quiet. The scare there is the madness behind the action instead of the action. So why did this two-sentence horror story not effectively work? Because it didn't effectively follow the formula. The scare is introduced early, first sentence. And the second sentence just kind of continues it and adds another layer onto it. These sentences also cluttered and overly complicated. The very nature of this genre requires sleeker thought. That being said, there are details in there that are necessary. I paid particular attention to the homicide detective to point out that yes, this is a murder case. Indeed, I needn't have mentioned a baby, which again seems like a little over the top because we already know death is going to be involved because of the homicide detective. Then again, I might have been playing my hand a little early. The effectiveness of the <laughs> scare is already weakened by my introduction of what's coming. The same thing is true if you're ever looking at a joke. If the person gives away the punchline in the setup, there's no reason for the punchline. This is one of the essential lessons of horror and why I think that the Two Cents Horror Story is great for working out all of the mistakes that could haunt your stories, haunt your work, haunt your little scares, what have you. And yes, I started with one of my worst ones just so I could point out the flaws in it. I find that we learn better from our mistakes sometimes than we do from getting it right. At least that's what I hear. I, I still haven't stopped with the making mistakes part of the whole thing. But uh, moving on. <laughs> I would like to bring up Stephen King's definitions of horror versus terror. Stephen King considered terror that build-up, that suspense, that fear of the unknown before the scare happens, while horror is that moment where you're faced with the monster or with the terrible scenario. Stephen King considered the terror to be the most essential, and I would have to agree. That is how good jump scares are set up. That's how good eerie atmosphere is set up. That's how great Twist endings and screwed up revelations also work. A great example of this in comedy can be found in the Netflix special, Hey There Big Boy, done by Burt Kreischer, where he goes into the anatomy of a joke as he tells it in multiple forms to a black kid at a coffee shop, I think it was Starbucks, where he kept ordering black coffee and then making a joke about it saying, I want my coffee thugged out. And the, the coffee guy goes what the barista i think that's the term this causes bert to go i want it black making the barista laugh and together these two make sort of an inside joke about it and this is an excellent example of how the joke making process works and we're gonna bring this back to horror don't worry but back to the comedy side we are looking at a description of how the setup process is supposed to work and since the kid that he meets already knows the setup most of the work is done for Bert but he also feels the pressure because he has to deliver on the punchline each and every time and all of this goes into setting up the final punchline of the joke which is the white lady who gets offended by it on behalf of the black kid who's having a great time so you see this multiple setup punch setup punch and it's all a setup for the final punch Boom. Same thing goes in horror stories. The two-sentence horror story forces that down to its essential nature. But if you're working with a longer narrative, say The Conjuring, you have all those set-up scares, set-up scares, like, ah, here's the clap game, ah, here's the wardrobe and the witch, ah, here's the dog, ah, here's the blanket thing. All of these set-up scares, set-up scares also set us up and build tension for that final scare and, fi and uh, confrontation. 
So it all builds upon itself, much like a joke. Getting that formula right on the simple level is essential for getting it right on a much bigger, more complex level. Let's take a look at some others here that also show us some of the tropes often present within two sentence horror stories. The doctor immediately started to chide me for coming in so late in the pregnancy. I told him I lost my virginity yesterday. This one's very small. Again, there's some extra words thrown in there that don't need to be. There's no need for the word immediately after uh, he the, mentioning the doctor. There's just some excess language that doesn't need to be in there. But we have the setup of what is normal. The doctor tells you, hey, you should have come in for this. And then you have the, the punchline or the scare, which is, actually, I just had sex yesterday. So you're like, oh, how did this happen? The unknown or where the normal becomes subverted is one of the forms of scare that can occur. Or at the very least, discomfort. There are many versions of this you'll find in examples of two-sentence horror stories. The person hears something, but they're deaf. They see something terrible, but they're blind. Yada, yada, yada. These are pretty much the essentials. You take the normal and you unsettle it. As animals ourselves, we kind of associate our normal being broken with the potential for danger, so it can unsettle us. Changes in our environment and what we expect? Good source of horror. Still, this one has some issues. Take a look at the revelation that uh, this woman only lost her virginity yesterday. Now, there are ways for someone to get pregnant without losing their virginity. So someone might just go, well, here are actually the ways that this could happen and not be anything supernatural or uncomfortable at all. So nothing to be afraid of here. This shows that the ability to rationalize the scare may weaken it. Also, the fact that uh, the, the scare is simply a pregnancy going too fast, I think is a pretty weak surprise in general. So your punchline, your big scare, still truly important. Let's try this one. Little girls are meant to be seen and not heard. Taxidermy makes this a lot easier. Okay, so we take something innocent and we take a cliche phrase, seen and not heard, and then we make it creepy with something that is almost stereotypically associated with horror, and that is taxidermy. Okay, this is fairly generic, but it has the essential elements. Nothing that makes it special here, but I, I see what's going on. This one does not play with the unknown, however. This plays with something that we can understand and find repulsive. So this is not fear of the unknown or fear of the normal being violated. This is fear of the known and the things that we can see happening in the real world. There's a reason seeing crime scares us and seeing the evil inside humanity scares us because we're well aware it's real. Horror that we can uh, relate to can create a completely different kind of scare from the horror that violates the norm, and it works on different people. Relatable horror has to be built within boundaries, though, and the boundaries are those found in reality. The more that relatable horror can walk through your door or be carried through your door in the case of a taxidermy kid, the more grounded it's likely to be, and therefore the more effective it's like to be as relatable horror. And that, I think, is the essential issue with this one. And you'll find I always criticize myself in virtually everything. The idea of taxiderming children is so out there 
that it may subvert the whole relatable horror angle. I mean, that's a bit much. With every creative decision comes a consequence. And these come much faster in two-sentence horror stories. You will find out very early if it works or if it doesn't. Still, you'll see a lot of two-sentence horror stories that follow this model and end in something outrageous. Again, go on Reddit. You'll see... Uh, works with tropes very much like this. I tried to capture the body of those tropes without uh, reproducing anything that I'd directly seen. It's like trying to tell a haunted house story after having seen hundreds of haunted house stories and going, well, how do I make this story feel like a cliche haunted house story without simply regurgitating it so that people can recognize the tropes when I talk about them? Same issue here. Diving in a little bit further... Now, if you want to take that taxidermy two-sentence horror story and perhaps make it more uh, supernatural, or at the very least related to madness rather than magic, you could say, taxidermy is supposed to be a quiet art, so why do all my subjects keep chatting at me? Or, so why do all the little girls keep begging me for mercy? That one's a little bit cliche to me. Or, why do all the insert supernatural event here? using the question to make the character ponder it in almost an inner monologue. That could perhaps do it. There are many different ways to take the same idea and twist it in different directions. You can play with perception in many different ways. The lack of trust in our own perception is one of the essential elements of psychological horror and can be tied directly to other forms of horror as well. Take this one. My brother told me my sister wasn't likely to make it, since hallucinations came right before the end with this disease. I reminded him that he didn't know what he was talking about, since he was already dead. Ah, okay, the revelation that it's all been a hallucination, and if this character's hallucinating, they're sick and dying too. Got it. So we have a revelation that gives us more information that recontextualizes the first sentence. So it's not just a surprise, it adds new meaning to what came before. And I tend to think that that strategy is most effective with twists. You can see this in more complex works like M. Night Shyamalan's Sixth Sense, where the whole revelation that Bruce Willis is a ghost and coming to that kid for help, actually, to settle his unfinished business, makes everything else make more sense and puts in a new context. That's a great twist. Whereas the twist at the end of, say, the happening or the village doesn't really change much of what happened in the story. Yes, it changes where it took place and when it took place in some cases, or that there is no reason, it's just the plants and one or the other. It still does not make the work change in any meaningful way or add more horror to it or help us come to some sort of emotional catharsis. It just is. That's what makes a poor twist. And you can see that in the two-sentence horror story, just without a lot of the frippery and the fluff and the actors. Efficiency can reveal a lot. The professor told the forensic students that the body farm had a limited supply right now, so we'd have to share. I declined, telling him I brought my own. I wanted to bring this one up to show you that when it comes to a certain point, horror can almost become comical. And this is where horror comedy lies. You're just like, okay, that's, that's so much that this is almost a little funny. I poisoned him at dinner before the game of charades. No one figured it out until his turn ended. 
Okay, that's a little bit uncomfortable, maybe scary to someone, but it's more funny than anything else. Even if, a, oh, that's a bad joke, sort of funny. And by the way, it's based on a uh, one-liner joke I've seen online a, a while back, or had seen online a while back. Just kind of lengthened into a two-sentence horror story. But that sort of blurring line between too much and uh, just right is where a lot of horror comedies can really make their mark. Overdoing horror can often end you up at the other end of the spectrum, so don't think that that is not useful in the proper genre. I urge you to check out oh, works like uh, The Evil Dead, uh, Army of Darkness, which is part of the Evil Dead series, and uh, things like, oh gosh, what is that one? Uh, the Joss Whedon one, Cabin in the Woods, which are at times... I suppose sort of horror and certainly full of horror elements and tropes, but also have strong elements of comedy. And there are some cases where a person might find a certain scene comedic while another one finds it horrifying simply because of the levels of acceptability and the fact that laughter is often a defensive mechanism that makes things okay. Or can be used to mock people whose two-sentence horror stories they invented in the bathroom are rather mediocre at best. Like this one. The captain said to weigh anchor. I watched as the chain attached to my ankle disappeared into the lake. Why did it have to be lake? Could have just said water. But that was another one. It was like, ah, something normal. Ooh, you're about to die. The fear of death is something we may empathize with in someone else's circumstance. That's a harder reaction to create in the two-sentence horror story because this character is not very well detailed. Hence, uh, part of the weakness of that I'm about to die scenario. Doppelganger fears, copycats, or failure to effectively identify a threat are all tropes that are very common in the two-sentence horror story. Take this, for example. My wife grimmed at me and leaned in for a kiss. At that moment, I heard the front door slam and my wife call out to me that she was home. Okay, that's weird. That's not good. But stories with a similar concept are a dime a dozen in the two-sentence horror story genre. Person A is in one room doing this, and person A also appears in situation doing this. Hmm, what's going on? So we need to make it something unique, something that can stand out. Here's another version of that same one. I had to identify my wife's body today by the clothes she wore because her face was gone. When I came home, I found that face smiling at me, leaning in for a kiss. Well, it looked like we may have started with a uncomfortable detail, but that certainly got ramped up when you found the face at home. Just the face or the person wearing the face? Details are a little fuzzy there. Try this one out. I had to identify my wife's body today by her clothes because her face was gone. When I came home, my wife was in the kitchen making dinner. Three different variations of the same idea, but the way they're arranged and the details we put in completely changes it. And that is one of the strengths and weaknesses of this genre. If there's even a word out of place or an idea isn't framed right, it's going to reveal it immediately. And this also plays to the relativity of horror. If you don't write it in a certain way that's going to affect a certain person, you've blown it. Try this one out for size. It's a different idea reframed by person. I kept my promise to never take that wedding ring off my finger, even after the divorce. I never much used that finger anyway. Compare that to, she told me never to take that ring off. I did as I was told, 
even as the other rings linked together with it pulled tight around my throat. Okay, I'm a little bit unclear about that image at the end. Is it part of a chain link? Is it to imply this is an abusive relationship? That one's so vague, it doesn't really work. Try this variation on it. My wife promised me on our wedding night she'd never take that ring off of her finger. I used a cleaver to make sure she kept that promise after she left me. I think that's the best variation of it because it turns the reader into a threat and you have that sort of revenge and a scare formula that is a part of a lot of horror where someone is punished, justly or unjustly. Punishment is a key component in the horror tradition. And I think the details worked the best there. Again, not perfect, but of the three, I found it to be the most effective because it had pertinent details and it managed to tell a story that wasn't just being creepy for creepy's sake, it also had an emotional payoff. My mother-in-law screeched at me that there was an alligator in the pool again. That was when I remembered my son hadn't come back from swimming. This is the threat built on adult fears. Adult fears are quite a bit different from, let's say, children going there, something in the closet. These are the fears of people in real life that have been in the world, seen a lot of shit, somewhat cynical, but still have deep down a terror that can consume them. For many parents, it's things relating to their kids. And in this case, this story could conceivably happen, and that relates all the way back to that relatable horror. Again, I think this one's a little bloated, but the key details to tell a scary scenario are there. Another issue that you should worry about in a two-sentence horror story, and horror in general, is how much you have to explain. Because explaining something too much, or telling someone something that you haven't explained enough, could deeply ruin your scare. Try this one out for size. She told me it was such a relief to sleep with someone who had the disease too because it saved a lot of time she usually spent in awkward conversation. I had no idea what she was talking about. Okay, so why did she think he had the disease too if he didn't know what she was talking the, the absence of key details does kind of hurt this one. Meanwhile, it's overly wordy. So we get some bits of information, but it's spread out in such a manner that we have to wait through noise to get there. Just like that last sentence I gave. Try this version of it. I've had a lot of success on this new dating app my friends set me up with. That was until one girl told me it was such a relief to sleep with someone who had the disease too, because it saved a lot of time usually spent in awkward conversation. Still long, but in this case, we at least get key details that are useful. He was set up on this dating app by his friends. It's a dating app for people who have sexually transmitted diseases. And this is that moment of realization. Those friends sucked. All right, that's something. This can be a problem etymologically, too, if someone doesn't understand the meaning of the word that you're dealing with or its history or its context, etc. Take this, for example. I always hear my girlfriends complaining about missing the honeymoon period of their relationships. If only they knew, I get mine again after every new scar he gives me. So I think there's enough information to reveal that she's in an abusive relationship, 
uh, but you have to know what the honeymoon period in an abusive cycle is. It's that thing that comes after an immediate moment of terrible abuse, and then the abuser is loving and caring and tries to either make up for what they've done or soothe the person so that they won't leave or get help. So the same term used as a part of a cycle for an abusive relationship, the honeymoon period, is also present in normal relationships where, oh, you have no flaws, and then you realize, oh, flaws, got it, some of the uh, magic is gone. You have to know that word in both contexts for it to make full sense. And this is a flaw of that uh, little scare. And you can get even more obscure or detailed with it in uh, examples like this. I finally got her to love me. To get her there, I first had to deny her protein. Well, the denial of protein is a key component in some forms of uh, brainwashing. So if someone knows that, they'll go, oh, you got her to love you through brainwashing. I, I got you. It's the same way that a, another two-sentence horror story might use, hey, this thing tastes like almonds. Well, you have to know a certain poison tastes like almonds to get that one to function. In two sentences, you don't have time to explain. And as I showed earlier, if you spend too much time explaining, you lose the energy of the scare. So you've got to figure out what type of details your audience are likely to know and how much you are willing to put emphasis on each individual word. And all of these lessons that you can see in my mangled attempts here are things that you can use to further refine your process, to refine your scares, to know why a certain scare worked for you and why another didn't. Sometimes we understand these things subconsciously without fully breaking it down to analyze it later and go, well, why didn't that work? And I think the two-sentence horror story is a great simple way to drive that home. Since the subject matter of this episode is rather short, I think that it only be right that this episode itself is somewhat shorter than my others to be a bite-sized bit of fun for those who like to overanalyze everything or for those who just want to mock me. I understand. I do it too. Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful day and that you can look for these tropes in other works of this kind and go, oh yeah, I can see why this pattern looks like this and what it's trying to do. By all means, do. Go look at these things these authors have created, whether they're doing the, oh, I wasn't supposed to look at it, but I did, so something happened, or, oh, I, there's this revelation at the end. All of these people are trying to create effective scares. Go and enjoy their work. Give them props when you see props, and go boo and have a laugh when it doesn't. Overall, engage with it. Engage with it and, and give them the attention for their efforts. Thank you so much, and have a good day, and hopefully many good scares that have happy endings for you. Take care.